0: life continues to be a train wreck five plumbing issues in as many weeks but i fixed my own sink today i am so proud of me zach i am i fixed my sink i'm a real man i'm wearing beard oil i smell like a real man the manly day the
1: most delicious
0: (laughs) time's up let's do this I'm ready. I'm not ready. Welcome, dear listener, to the QQCast. Today's Thursday, February 11th, 2021. And we're your hosts, Ton DuPont and Zach Mayer, say... I, hi, what's the singular of gentleman? Gentleman? Hi, gentleman. I am gentleman. do, 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 do. do. do, do, do. <laughs> oh, and this, dear listener, is Quest 134. Which moments in media helped shape you? So, uh, dear listener, we're gonna we're gonna completely nerd out on a topic that really Zach and I th- that we were meant for this. There's gonna be some fucking sci-fi and Star Trek. There's gonna be some things in here. Um, but I just I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about uh, you know I'm in I'm in a leadership position in, in my job, and um, there are moments where people make Star Trek jokes or, or you know make different things, and um, the, the truth, the honest to God truth is look, look, Star Trek is fiction, right? There's so much fiction out there. Uh, but whether it was Star Trek, whether it was Shakespeare, there are things that you you read and you see and you you take in through osmosis as as a child, as as an adult, as anyone growing, and they help shape you. Moments that you're like, you know, I wish I could I could be not that that person, not a fantasy, but I wish I could live up to those standards. Um and damn it. I wanna nerd out about Star Trek stuff. So, I don't know, Zach, how does that sound?
1: That sounds pretty good to me. Um, seems like all we do when we're left to our own devices is I talk know, about right?
0: Star Trek. <laughs> I don't, like, I'm so glad I wasn't there. I don't hate it. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of not hating it, I wanted to start off with a moment that this, uh, obviously I'm gonna start off with uh, something that I don't think you think I'd start off with, Star Trek Discovery. Obviously, I was too old for this to be formative in any way, shape, or form. But there was a moment in season two that I was like, man, that perfectly encapsulates what I think great leadership is. It was a moment that I just I just loved and I just wanted to hug and I wanted to squeeze and I just wanted to hold it up and go, this, this was it. Zach, what could I be talking about? <sighs> I'm not hundred percent
1: sure <gasps> like all of season two blurs together for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah first episode the first episode
1: of Discovery
0: season two Nope, I need a recap <laughs> So it's when Pike comes aboard to take uh, command of the discovery He gets up mm-hmm. to the bridge for the first time and he puts on his record uh, on the main viewer so kind of like his college transcript on the main viewer. And he says, yep, that's my service record. That little red dot, that is where I failed. I, I don't know if it was astrophysics. I'll, I'll try to find the clips, dear listener. Um, and he said, you know, that, that's me. I'm not perfect. That was a mistake I made. He just kind of airs that. That's your file. I'm sorry, sir. I... That's all right, Ensign. Everybody
2: grab a seat. Go ahead. Now I want you all to give that a read. I'm Captain Christopher Pike. Up there are my commendations, my... Diagnosis of childhood asthma. Ah, that big red F. That was my failing grade in astrophysics at the academy.
0: And then he sits in the chair and he goes, okay, roll call, all of you. I want your names and what you do. Skip your ranks. They don't matter.
2: Bridge crew, give me a roll call. Lord knows what's waiting for us down there. I want to know who I'm facing it with. Sound off. And skip your ranks. They don't matter. Clockwise from science.
0: I just, I fucking loved that intro. I loved it because that's something that I talk about with my engineering team, which is fairly sizable now, all the time. That like, look, uh, your your level, your seniority, doesn't matter when we're talking engineering. Ideas matter when we're talking engineering. One of my favorite moments of my career was when an intern outthought the rest of a room of senior engineers, and I can share that that moment with you. But like the the you know, skip your ranks, they don't matter. It's just a wonderfully poignant but simple point. About I th- I think good leadership like about people it's about what you're doing doesn't matter about your senior yes yes obviously we listen to experts obviously that these things matter in some sense but like when we're talking about a problem we're talking about engineering like no that you you just you throw it all on out there no matter who's saying it um I I love yeah. that moment
1: yeah no I I, I dig that and it definitely it resonates you know because it's like. The rank doesn't matter, like titles titles don't matter when you're trying to solve a problem collectively. It's at most a way of distinguishing the arbiter. And in an open discussion, you know it doesn't matter who the ideas are coming from, the group is going to roll those things around, suss out the good ones and the less good ones, the options available. Um, and when it comes time to pick a direction, if there is vigorous debate, then rank matters. And then a decision can be made because, you know, it, it, left to our own devices, we would argue endlessly. Oh, of um, course,
0: there's a moment where leadership needs to make a decision. Uh, there could be a time when there's a draw. You might want to lean on the person with experience. These things can matter. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the, the default position is to, hey... Good ideas are good ideas. I yeah. don't care who has them. Throw them out there. And when you're fielding, you know, in discovery, he's uh, pikes on the bridge, and he has a a team of different officers running the bridge. And that's the same thing with a sporting sporting team. When you're on the field, I'm a soccer guy. When you're on the field, it doesn't matter who the uh, the defender is. It doesn't matter who the midfielder is. They're they're the fucking defender. They're there right then. They're running the play. It doesn't matter if they had ten years experience, one year experience, it's their first fucking game. When they're on the field they're the goddamn defender. Yep.
1: Yeah, and like everybody in everybody playing on that particular field um uh, in Captain Pike's field is a subject matter expert on something, right? And they're all on equal footing. You might defer to expertise in a particular area, but that doesn't make anybody more, you know, important than the rest of the team in the kind of problem solving that they're Looking to engage in, um, I do like that he flattens everybody out and you know sets that stage as we're all playing the same sport. We're all going to pull together, and it doesn't matter which particular thread you prefer to pull on, as long as you're pulling for the team. Like that's that's the way that it should be. The rigid hierarchy doesn't really doesn't really support creative problem solving. And I think having a captain that recognizes that, having somebody just be explicit about that is super nice.
0: Yep, so um, just to wrap this point up, my uh, my story of, um, we were building a system at work that was going to aggregate lots of errors and exceptions from different sources. And when we put this into production or getting close to it, we were realizing that the volume was just gonna crush us. Um, Damn it! Um, we were starting to look for all the trends we could analyze, figure everything out, and come to find out—and this is kind of shockingly, no duh, when you think of it—for more than a moment. But the first, like, ninety-something percent. I want to say ninety-eight percent of errors in the database were one-offs that would never happen again. And we are talking about, uh, dear listener, we we're talking about software. You're we talking about errors at, at scale and volume. If you're a software engineer, you're a product owner, and you have ten thousand of one error, and you have one of another. Odds are you're going to fix the ten thousand error. <laughs> like that's something that's impacting your user base. It's happening most frequently. So we realized that about ninety eight percent of all of our errors were one offs that weren't aggregating. and two percent were, which was still, still, still significant. Um, and it was the intern that came up with the solution that we dubbed "It's just a rumor." And that's on the first occurrence, you just throw throw the data. Uh, not not all of it. You keep certain records so you can aggregate, but like you you don't save files to disk. You don't. Uh, you don't durably persist a lot of things. You just say, okay, the first one's a rumor. And then the, then the second one, and we made it, you made it and it was configurable. Then this, the second one happens, the third one happens. That's when you start writing the, the data-heavy stuff and poof, cut, our, cut our, our data overhead by like 90%. That's system scale. It was great. And it was the intern. The room was senior engineers looking at each other. We didn't think of that first. The intern thought of it first. It was wonderful. So anyway, Captain Pike, Discovery, Season 2. Spare your ranks, they don't matter. That's that was a again. It, that's a <laughs> it was not formative in any way shape or form, but it was a wonderful moment, and I I loved it. Um, and it encapsulates that Star Trek leadership, which I'm certain I'll be talking more about during this podcast. Uh, Zach, what was a what was a moment in media that that helped shape you?
1: Um, you know, ugh, I gotta stick with Star Trek. There's one in particular, but I want to talk about a different one because it's similar. If in a different way to what you just talked about with uh with Pike and leadership. Uh and with your story about the intern, there's um an episode of Next Generation First Duty where Picard is talking to Wesley Crusher after Wesley has fucked up because it's Wesley. I mean, what are you going to do? Um but he's 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 talking to Wesley and he's giving him this this speech like you You sat in my chair. I was annoyed playing on my ship, but you knew every control, all the displays, uh, and you just acted like you belonged on the bridge. Um, And this is Picard saying, you know, I believe from the first time that I met you that you were going to be an outstanding officer. Like, this is Picard saying this. That's a high compliment. But he goes on and talks about truth and the first duty of Starfleet officers is to, to the truth whether it's scientific or personal or, you know, it's the guiding principle on I know
0: the quote everything. I know what you're talking about,
1: yes Yeah.
3: You told the truth up to a point but a lie of a mission is still a lie Do you remember the first day you came aboard this ship? Your mother brought you on the bridge Yes, sir You even sat in my chair I was annoyed Presumptuous child playing on my ship But I never forgot how you already knew Every control, every display You behaved as though you belonged on the bridge And then later when I decided to make you an acting ensign I was convinced you could be an outstanding officer And I never questioned that conviction Until now The first duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. It is the guiding principle on which Starfleet is based. Now, if you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth about what happened, you don't deserve to wear that uniform. I'm going to make this simple for you, Mr. Crusher. Either you come forward and tell Admiral Brand what really took place, or I will.
1: Captain. Dismissed. And he's he's basically telling Crusher to, you know, step up, take responsibility for what the fuck you did. Um, it's good leadership. Like, it's just the kind of... It's the kind of thing that you expect from Picard. He's, he's sort of, like, an archetypal paragon of, like, truth, justice, and the Starfleet way. But um, But with that interaction, like, he is open to a lot of external input you know he relies a lot on his core advisors uh he takes the input of his crew seriously not as casually as pike does and not as explicitly egalitarian as pike does i think he still has a ton of respect for the chain of command as it were but he's still looking at not even an incident at that point like this is wesley crusher as a child that he's looking at and saying hey this thing Playing in my captain's chair, being a—he's <laughs> <laughs> he, not a big fan of children. Picard, this 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 thing is worth worthy of consideration and worthy of respect. Uh, and he shows that to Wesley by being brutally honest with him, and that's the—it's it, the kind of it—it's it, it, an—it's a speech that he gives to Crusher that stuck with me when I first heard it, and it's this idea of taking responsibility for whatever for owning up to the truth and figuring it out and you know being honest not only with others but with yourself that really kind of stuck with me so i like that a lot
0: yeah oh my god there are so many amazing picard speeches um i think i think that's the first the first duty i think might be the episode i I know the speech yeah. you're talking about. I can I can see it. I have instant recall of it in my head. Um yeah, no, it that, that was a good one. So I guess for my my next one, um, I'll I'll stick with the Picard uh Picard theme. There's an episode where it's I don't think it's called First Contact. Can't remember what it's called. Oh, we should this is why we should do our homework for the episodes. Um but there is a uh, a watch post on the planet of these scientists who are just kind of observing the locals and there's a malfunction and the, the locals end up seeing them and uh they end up one of them ends up seeing picard and and he goes back and like is like calling oh god the picard commands the the people in the skies above and to basically turn him into a religion instantly um and so picard is having a debate with one of the scientists about how to repair this or how to fix things And the scientist is just like, oh, you should just go down there and just play into this and be like, yeah, I'm the Picard. Um, Don't worship this, that, the other thing. You know, fuck off. (laughs) And um, Picard lays into the guy about, you know, these people a hundred years ago turned their backs on superstition and mysticism. And I will not send them back to that. I will not send them back to the Dark Ages. That is wrong. Recommendations.
3: The Mentargans wish to please the Overseer, but they can only guess what he wants. They need a sign. Are you suggesting you must go down to mintaka three masquerading as a god absolutely out of the question the prime directive has already been violated the damage is done all we can do now is minimize it by sanctioning their false beliefs by giving them guidelines letting them know what the overseer expects of them dr baron i cannot i will not impose a set of commandments on these people to do so violates the very essence of the prime directive like it or not, we have rekindled the Mintagan's belief in the Overseer. And are you saying that this belief will eventually become a religion? It's inevitable.
2: And without guidance, that religion
3: could degenerate into inquisitions, holy wars, chaos. Horrifying. Dr. Baron, your report describes how rational these people are millennia ago. They abandoned their belief in the supernatural. Now you are asking me to sabotage that achievement, to send them back into the dark ages of superstition and ignorance and fear? No! We will find some way to undo the damage we've caused.
0: That... Speech and I, I don't want to get into you know religion or belief or faith or anything of the sort on the podcast. Um, but as a person who uh, you know my my background was is just that uh, throughout most of my life, uh, early life, I was I was considered mostly to be agnostic, and I didn't realize until later on that actually what I am when I learned what these things meant is I'm, I'm an agnostic atheist, and I don't usually like to tell people that because you can absolutely be discriminated when people hear the fucking word atheist. Um, but I'm specifically an agnostic, agnostic atheist. And I didn't even realize, I think, at the time that, that hearing Picard give that speech about, you know, not going back to the Dark Ages and believing in effectively, you know, science and logic and reason. How, again, you know, formative or how, uh, how much that shaped me in some, in some small micro sense. That, that speech stuck with me. And it was just a well, it really articulated something that had been in my brain for a long time that I didn't know how to express
1: yeah no, i'm with you there like it's it put into words like the i don't remember how old i was when i saw that the first time but you know young-ish and it was it was the kind of thing that put into words a lot of the disjointed sort of thoughts and intuitions and feelings that i had around just organized religion at the time and it was i don't know i i guess When I was small, uh, my sister's a fair few years younger than I am, and I remember staying up really super late on, like, Easter Eve, and that morning I was up before my dad, who got up extra early to go hide Easter eggs, and I, you know, I I basically caught him in the act, right? And It was like the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, all of all of the the mythology that we uh, that we tell the children. That's fun in a lot of ways. Was dispelled, and it wasn't like I didn't have an idea of what was going on, but I had to prove it, and I did at that point. And then it didn't seem like such a jump to apply that to pretty much everything. And so this idea of like church and belief and all of that, it felt at that point like oh this is just stories we tell for children's sake like these are children's stories this is this is morality the baby's first morality lesson right <laughs> and then this comes on and it's like yeah yeah i think i think that makes the most sense okay cool yeah no i get it i get it
0: yeah and, and so yeah I, Again, Star Trek would go on, especially with Deep Space Nine, to to talk about um, talk about you know faith and belief and how it doesn't always have to be at odds uh, with science. But a- again, just putting putting rational thought and putting science first that doesn't that doesn't preclude that you can't have you know some form of ooh, the desk, uh, some form of of faith beyond that. Again, this is not a topic we should really get into deeply on the podcast, and I, I am certainly not uh, a scholar of such things. Um but again that that Picard speech in particular, again, it just art- articulated something within me that I didn't I hadn't been able to get my arms around. Uh yep. so fucking love Picard speeches. There are so many good ones. Uh all right, man. Back back to you. What's uh what's another and by the way, actually I only have one more Star Trek thing. Um and then I have some others. Um what's another uh, one
1: for you? Well, let's see. I'm I actually and to yeah okay I had to double check the episode, but um, the drumhead
0: ah oh, the drumhead we've talked about this on the podcast before
1: <laughs> we have it's come up and it keeps coming up because it's just such a it's such a pertinent episode um but uh yeah the 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 quote is and I, I looked this one up because I didn't want to lose it you know with the first link forged or the first blah, blah, I still fucked it up. With the first link, the chain is forged. First speech, censured. The first thought, forbidden. The first freedom, denied. Chains us all irrevocably. And it's just... Yeah, it's so easy to do. To trade liberty for security or social acceptance or whatever. And each time that you sacrifice a liberty... You are forging your own chains. That's a powerful idea. You
3: know, there are some words I've known since I was a
1: schoolboy. But the
3: first link the chain is forged, first speech censured, the first thought forbidden, the first freedom denied, chains us all irrevocably.
1: Yeah, there's a ton of nuance that you could put on that, and nothing is ever quite that black and white but as a core guiding value this idea that you have to be vigilant in order to maintain your own or your societies or whatever your liberty in general if liberty is something that you value then be vigilant like yeah, yeah this this shit is this shit is important
0: the, tr- like, the here's drum a whole head.
1: episode about witch hunts basically Yes. Literally. And this the and this idea that people are, you know I don't even quite know how to how to phrase it appropriately, but yeah, that, that whole episode was was something that resonated with me when I saw it the first time. And that quote in particular is, is really, really good.
0: Yeah, P- Picard's the star of the show, but they also use Michael Doran's wharf uh very well mm-hmm. to to show how easily you can be not even, not even necessarily manipulate it, but just just fall in with with that rationale. Just keep taking steps, even when they stop making sense. And um, not only was that speech, which is the that that is the Picard speech of the episode where he, you know, uh, calls out the 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 witch huntress. I don't know, I don't know what the term would that be. Um, but then th- there's also the 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 coda speech that he gives that Picard gives uh, Worf at the end, as well about um, when Worf says that he didn't realize what she was and what she was doing, um, and Picard. Uh, I'm I'm gonna try to do this from memory. Um, villains who twirl their mustaches are easy to spot, but those who, uh, oh, those that hide themselves or, or cloak themselves in good deeds are much more difficult to identify. And that, that, I think he then uses the word vigilant. We must always be vigilant. Um, there, there's that's just a great episode. It really, really is. I believed her.
3: i I helped her. I did not see what she was. Mr. Wharf, villains who twirl their mustaches are easy to spot. Those who clothe themselves in good deeds are well camouflaged. But she or someone like her will always be with us, waiting for the right climate in which to flourish, spreading fear in the name of righteousness. Vigilance, Mr. wharf That is the price we have to continually pay.
0: Yep. Yep. Oh, God, Vigilance, so good. Vigilance,
1: Mr. Wharf. That is the price we have to continually pay.
0: Yes. That's it. That's it. Oh, God, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, Um. so the other episode that I want to bring up, and there are... Uh, there, there are actually multiple moments in this episode that I think are just wonderful and we could actually talk for a few minutes about, um, but it's Measure of a Man. <laughs> I fucking love Measure of a Man. It is such a great episode, um, for especially for season two. Who saw that coming? Um, but uh, the, the conversation between Data and Riker at the end of the episode is one that, that both characters say things that really, really stick with me. But before we get to that... We, we could call out that uh, there's wonderful speeches and conversations throughout the whole episode. But again, the, the Picard speech, you know, at the, the end, the closing statements at the end of the uh, trial are, you know, really, really good about, uh, you know, the, the Federation is out here to seek out new life. Well, there it sits, you know, waiting for you to make a decision, a decision that could expand some liberties for or expand liberties for some savagely curtailing them for others. Will you damn him and all who come after him to servitude and slavery? Like this, just it is a fucking powerful Picard speech, and it is wonderful. And it talks about you know precedent, and it talks about uh, decisions we make and how they can impact people. It's uh, oh god, it's 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 so so good. Your Honor, a
3: courtroom is a crucible. In it, we burn away irrelevancies until we are left with a pure product, the truth, for all time. Now, sooner or later, this man or others like him, will succeed in replicating Commander Data. Now, the decision you reach here today will determine how we will regard this creation of our genius. It will reveal the kind of a people we are, what he is destined to be. It will reach far beyond this courtroom and this one android. It could significantly redefine the boundaries of personal liberty and freedom, expanding them for some, savagely curtailing them for others. Are you prepared to condemn him and all who come after him to servitude and slavery? Your Honor, Starfleet was founded to seek out new life. Well, there it sits. Waiting. You wanted a chance to make law. Well, here it
0: is. Make it a good one. Again, the, the, the final the final code of speech is the one I want to talk about, but yeah, I mean, did you did you like the, the, the trial in, in Measure of Man? Did that did that stick with you? Because I, I remember the conversation about sentience also stuck with me. Like, that might have been some of oh, the first yeah. conversations I heard that defined or tried to articulate what sentience was, which is fucking hard to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Um, and Measure of a Man in particular p- plays directly into the, the Picard series, which I love. Um, yes,
0: with Maddox, correct.
1: Like, if they had to pick one trunk of next generation to branch off of with that series, I'm glad they chose that one because it's a really, really good question to consider
0: i I to anyway, yeah. agree with you in concept i don't I don't quite think they executed on it properly, but uh, well, in, yeah. in premise and principle, I agree
1: yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, no measure of man was was fantastic, and it's there there isn't one thing. Or one, I mean, there's card speeches in there because, of course, there are, but it it wasn't so much like a line of dialogue or a soliloquy that some character delivers. It's the entire episode um, really stuck with me. And this is at a time when I'm like, you know, nerdy kid watching Star Trek uh, (laughs) and thinking about like futurism and the optimistic future that uh star trek has and then we have this like literal trial of what is life what constitutes you know life and what me what does it mean to have you know legal standing or just a right to be and they present such a great two sides of it they're like if we could only figure out how data ticks maybe we could make more of him and in doing so, we might destroy data, but everything that comes after him could be awesome. And it's like, okay, well, at what point is it worth sacrificing the individual for some imagined collective benefit? Like, is that a trade-off that a society should make? And if you're just pure utilitarian, it's real easy to see the other side and say, yes, of course, you should, you know, pick them apart, figure out how the clock ticks. Um, but on Just a much more humanitarian bent, which is where Picard comes down and, you know, triumphs. Is do the needs of the many in this case really outweigh the needs of the one? And is uniqueness on its own worth preserving for its own sake? Like, it's, I don't know, it's good. It's good.
0: It's a very good episode. Um, So yeah, then the conversation at the very end is between uh, Riker, who uh, represented the prosecution, I guess, I forget how the rules were defined, Um, uh, against Data. And so in the end, uh, there's a party to celebrate, you know, the fact that Data was declared, of course, that the good guys, quote unquote, win, and Data is declared sentient. Um, And so Data asks Riker if he's going to go to the party, and he's like, no, I don't deserve to be there. Um, And He's like, "I, I almost won. And then Data says to him... Um, but had you not acted, they would have ruled, you know, summarily against me. So, you know, you did what you had to do for me, And that action injured you. um and that's something that I won't forget. And again, that sentence alone, just and I, I think I butchered it a little bit. Um, it's just this wonderful sentiment that someone sacrificed for somebody else that that they they recognized it. Uh, and then R- Riker replies with, you know, uh, data, you were, you know, data, my friend, you were very wise. and and Data counters, you know, no, but with your help, I'm learning, which is just this wonderful articulation of humility. And I don't know, that exchange always just did it for me. That exchange always showed me, like, two people, uh, these characters, you know, being friends, respecting each other, sacrificing each other, appreciating each other. Like, that, it was just a wonderful exchange of sentences that uh, just always resonated with me. Just always, always, I always liked that sentiment.
2: There was a celebration on the holodeck. I have no right to be there. Because you failed in your task. Oh, God, no. I came that close to winning, Data. Yes, sir. I almost cost you your life. That is true, sir. But, Commander, Will, I have learned from your example. What could you possibly have learned from that ordeal? That at times, One must deny one's nature. Sacrifice one's own personal beliefs to protect another. Is it not true that had you refused to prosecute, Captain Lavois would have ruled summarily against me? Yes. That action injured you and saved me. I will not forget it. you're a wise man my friend not yet sir but with your help i am learning
1: yeah me too and that that in particular i can blame for my current perception of what our what a just legal system should be right like mm-hmm. you, you think about you know how 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 do lawyers get up and defend Murderers that they know are guilty or how do prosecutors go after people who they You know must realize Are are not, you know rising to the level of malicious intent or whatever and it's not About you know pure right and wrong like if we were all omniscient Just omniscient just beings then there wouldn't be a need for courts, right? a just system as well as we can make it is necessarily adversarial. Like we have to have a vigorous defense, even for the most heinous crimes, because if we don't, then we open ourselves up to this lax attitude of conviction by public opinion or by the whim of a single justice. And that is not a good place to be. And in that exchange, where Riker is feeling, you know, bad about being on the opposing side, the losing side in this case, which, you know, it's a television show. It's good that he lost. We all love Data. But in providing this this rigorous argument, he did the job that needed to be done. He provided the debate that needed to happen. And if it wasn't allowed to happen, as Data correctly points out, then he probably would have been scrapped. And more broadly, if you're not providing that that vigorous defense, then there's no telling what kinds of injustice would happen at the you know whim of that less perfect justice system.
0: Yeah, and that that was another great line from earlier in the episode. Of uh, so, uh, again, I'm gonna butcher it, but um, sometimes people of good conscience have to. Uh, have to resort to this adversarial process. Or when people of dis- people of good conscience have a dispute, they must some occasionally resort to this adversarial process. Again, I will find the clip and edit it into this podcast. Um, again, another just great sentence. There's so much great writing in that episode. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, back to you, sir.
1: Uh, I think I've got one last Star Trek one, um, and this one is one that I think about often to this day. Uh, Peak performance was the episode
0: is that the one where they 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 battled the Ferengi with the in the the fake battle
1: uh, You know, I honestly don't remember what the episode was about. I only really remember the quote moving on (laughs) Uh, Picard says to data it is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose that is not weakness that is life
0: Ah, yes, that is the one with with the Ferengi actually yeah, no, I, I like that episode And I, I, yes, and then Data then reformulates his plan to win the whatever the hell not chess game uh, by just playing purely defensively. Um, But yeah, no, that's a great, it's a great sentence. It's a great line.
1: Yeah. No, I I love that. And I think about it a lot. Like, that and, you know, the enemy of, of, uh, uh, what is it? God, I can't believe I'm blanking on it. Perfect is the enemy of good.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: Uh we it, say that a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Uh it's possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. Like there was something that uh it took me a while to really wrap my head around. You know, it, feeling bad after not succeeding at something. Um, you know, it could have been a math test or you know, lost a soccer game or whatever else. And, you know, I I think I started to not take it so personally when I realized that I couldn't have really done any better. And that, on the face of it, still sounds bad, but it's more that I gave it my best attempt, and if my best in that case wasn't good enough, then there was nothing else to do. There's no reason to, to dwell on it and take it. Learn from it. You have new information now. You have new input uh, to to draw on and new experience to, to pull from. So maybe next time. But yeah, you can commit no mistakes and still lose. You can try your best and still lose as long as you try your
0: best. Nothing it, to worry about. Unbelievably hard lesson. I'd say it's a hard lesson to learn, but the fact is, there there are so many things like that that, uh, you know, to this day, you know, I, I know I have to keep growing and have to keep learning, and I will always struggle with that concept, right? That's not something you just learn, like, oh, yeah. now I know how to do it. Um, yeah. That's that's a journey. That's a, a never-ending battle. Uh, it's And it's, yeah, Picard just says it so simply and eloquently. Um Oh, that fucking character, man! God damn, Patrick Stewart was good.
1: I know, I know. He was like my third father. <laughs>
0: uh. Well. Um. Yeah. I am. I am officially moving on from from Star Trek. Um. And so, uh, before I, I kind of have two that I wanted to back to back. One's a movie, and then one's a TV show. Um. And I, I just wanted to. There's a little bit of philosophy in this one, but um. The uh the first movie that I ever that I remember anyway, that I remember making me cry, where like I got the moral and was like, oh my god, and like my little I was super young, I don't know, like ten-year-old, maybe earlier than that brain wasn't ready for this yet. Um, was actually Lord of the Flies. Just the the concept that in the end, like human nature got the better of the kids, right? And like, you know, they they turned on each other and they didn't have to. Um just mm-hmm. that for some, again, like this was young, single-digit age, Tom, and that just got me. I think it was the first movie that actually made me cry, um, and it's also something that planted this kind of this seed of doubt in me. I think it's a, a gross over, oversimplification to say, you know, are you are you more of a, a Calvinist or a, a Locke guy? Um, I I do I do have a little fear and a little maybe it's cynicism um, about you know unbridled raw human nature that it's not always good um i think lord of the flies kind of planted that seed um yeah again i'm not trying to get deeper or philosophical or say people are evil at heart blah 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 i'm just, I'm just pointing out that like you know there, there's an element of that that I, I i think about and i think lord of the flies planted it so that in of itself would be uh, uh not that there was a given moment or speech in that movie but that movie uh definitely impacted me a little bit as a kid uh and then i went on to read the book in high school i think um so <laughs> then I'm going to follow that up with the least serious show of all time, fucking Farscape. <laughs> <laughs> um, talk about a 180, right? There's an oh, episode yeah. in season one where, um, like, Rigel gets kidnapped uh, by these guys that wear like this gauntlet on their arm that makes them super strong. And so, of course, the the, the good guys, the Moya crew, end up getting their hands on, on some of those gauntlets. Um, and come to find out, it it pumps the the bad guys full of drugs, makes them super strong, super fast. Uh, but it has a side effect of like not removing their inhibitions, but like making them angrier, or evil. Or their 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 kind of their true nature comes out. And so of course, like Dargo and Aaron put it on, and they become super fucking aggressive. Um, so there's a point point where like Crichton has to put it on uh, to go save Rigel, and he puts it on, and he takes off, and he runs after the bad guys, and he catches them, and he gets there, and he knocks out all the henchmen except for the the boss. And the boss looks at Crichton and just says, oh, you didn't kill him. And Crichton replies with, yeah, I guess I'm not that kind of guy. And I just, I don't know why, I just always loved that stupid, silly, this is a, a, a throwaway episodic episode of a, of a science fiction, 90s science fiction show. I just always loved that concept that like, even when Crichton was, you know, drugged up or doped up or whatever, he was still a good enough person where, well, yeah, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't kill anyone. And so when you you kind of take that with what I just said about Lord of the Rings and my my you know fear of of you know uh, some of human nature, and that that concept of like yeah I I hope that when I am tested when I you know uh, uh, would if if I was ever in such a situation I would I would also be a good person and I still wouldn't want to you know harm people. So it's a stupid moment. It's a silly moment. It's nothing of consequence. But for some stupid fucking reason, it stuck with me. So there you go, fucking Farscape. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: I I have this vague sense that Stargate, or Stargate Farscape, Stargate. Farscape. To be
0: fair, the Farscape cast took over S- Stargate at the end of seasons nine and ten, so you know whatever. Yeah, it's fine.
1: The Farscape show, like it had, it had its moments. Um. I have that sense, although I'm struggling to recall specifics. I saw that, like, way late. Uh, I think I I pulled the first few seasons uh, from a DVD collection that maybe you had. Uh, Yeah, Uh, that was
0: the first set of DVDs I ever bought.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I watched it way after it was, you know, originally aired um, and binged the fuck out of it so it all runs together for me. but. Yeah, no, it's, I, I, I remember it having some of those, some of those just memorable moments. I just don't remember what they were.
0: <laughs> I, I freaking loved Farscape. I, I got into it, uh, I think, in between seasons one and two. Sci-Fi used to have their marathons. They called the chain reactions, and I caught mm. a Farscape chain reaction. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I was instantly, instantly hooked on Farscape. Loved it. Um. <laughs> And then, uh, you know, cause this was still before Netflix, before you could get stuff like DVDs were relatively new as TV shows on DVD were relatively new at this time. So like a year or two later, um, and again, I would try to watch Farscape whenever I could cause like it was network television. You had to watch it if it was on. Um, a few years later, uh, fucking, I think it was Trey was working at GameStop and they got like the Farscape DVD set in and, uh, like someone traded it in and like, I, I, if I'm remembering this story correctly, like Trey told me or something like that, but like I ended up getting it at like, you know, the employee discount price. And that's how I got season one of Farscape on DVD. I was so fucking excited. <laughs> and so of course, then I went on to eventually try to get my hands on all of the seasons, all four, there weren't many, of Farscape. Um, Oh man, I fucking love that show. I gotta tell you though, Zach, that is a show very specifically, I am terrified of like going back and watching. Because I'm afraid I'll fucking hate it. Like, I'm afraid it won't have aged well. I'm afraid it'll be super 90s. I'm afraid I won't like Farscape. And I have such fond memories of it, I kind of d- don't know that I want to rewatch it. Yeah. Did you ever do that with uh, a show? Because I, I tried rewatching in middle school. My friends and I loved Gundam fucking Wing, man. That show, one of the first animes, the first Gundam I'd ever seen, it was amazing. Then I tried to rewatch that years later, I think at some point in college.
1: Oh, shouldn't have
0: done yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so, part of the shows that it. I don't know. I don't know if I could rewatch it, man.
1: Yeah. Oh, shouldn't have done that. Should not have no.
0: done that. No. Okay, uh, that was my kind of double double header right there. Uh, back to you, sir. Oh gosh.
1: I'm gonna think for a second.
0: Yeah. There's got to be a million moments, right? But like, it is kind of hard to think of them on the spot. I, I actually only have one more in my my pre written list here, um, and it's a movie. Um, you have a pre-written list. Well, this this is this is, uh, this is the QQcast pre-gaming as I get out thinking <laughs> uh, uh, what, what is this Google Keep and I type my oh, my bulleted list in Google Keep.
1: See, that's clever. Like preparing for stuff is just <laughs> not in my wheelhouse. Um
0: all right, I, t- I tell you what, you you do your thing, I will think of one more. Yeah, well there's again there, there's obviously there's going to be a million there's things we could talk about um but there was one movie that, the the whole movie has always been one that I loved. I actually rewatched it a few months ago, and I, I still love it to pieces. I've loved it every time I've ever watched it. It just deals with all these themes that I think are, are great and wonderful. Um, and that movie is Gattaca.
1: Gattaca! I, I fucking love Gattaca. It's a fucking wonderful I fucking movie. love Gattaca.
0: Yeah, I, I cannot recommend it enough. Um, Completely and, fucking forgot about Gattaca. Yeah. Oh, it's one of my absolute positive favorites. I... Still to this day, love this movie. It has aged great. I I I, I recommend it still. Um, and there's so many wonderful moments in that movie. Um, just the the you know the huge the, the climactic showdown of the film is you know two guys go swimming. Like that's the fucking <laughs> that's the climax when the brother and him go swimming, and he you know reveals how how are you doing this? And he says I I never saved anything for the swim back. It's how he outswims the the brother with the better genetics. How are you doing this, Vincent? How have you done any of this? We have to go back. No, oh, it's too late for that. We're closer to the other side. What other side? You want to join us both? You want to know how I did it?
1: This is how I did it, Anton. I never saved anything for the swim back.
0: but the uh, that moment was wonderful just the the simple concepts of um people getting you know swabbed and getting their dna tested um is is you know wonderful and st- when i say wonderful like the, the the moral complexities of it you know uh, stuck with me and you know him doing his little monologues at the beginning about being discriminated against just by you know a handshake or touching a a, a, a doorknob um are wonderful and the the reveal at the end that the the doctor at Gattaca knew the whole time because he was supposed to be left-handed and he, you know, held, when he was pissing, he held his dick with his right. Like, there's just so many moments in that movie that just are genuinely wonderful and amazing to me. And that, that movie definitely had an impact on me. It talks about discrimination on, you know, again, a sci-fi level, but it's one that it isn't just this clear-cut good or bad thing. Like, if we had genetic engineering to that level or screening to that level, of course, we would all want that we like the when the doctor is explaining at the, beginning of the movie to the parents you know it's it's still your child it's just the best of both of you
2: like most other parents of their day they were determined that their next child would be brought into the world in what has become the natural way your extracted eggs uh, marie have been fertilized with antonio's sperm after screening we are left as you see with two healthy boys and two Very healthy girls. Naturally, no critical predispositions to any of the major inheritable diseases. All that remains is to select the most compatible candidate. First, we we may as well decide on gender. Have you given it any thought? Uh, We would want Vincent to have a brother, you know, um, to play with. Of course you would. Hello, Vincent. (laughs) You have specified hazel eyes, dark hair, and uh, fair skin. I have taken the liberty of eradicating any potentially prejudicial conditions. Uh, premature baldness, myopia, alcoholism and addictive susceptibility, uh, propensity for violence, obesity, etc. We
1: didn't
3: want... I mean, diseases, yes, but...
2: Uh, right. We were just wondering if, if it's good to just leave a few things to, to chance. You want to give your child the best possible start. Believe me, we have enough imperfection built in already. Your child doesn't need any additional burdens. And keep in mind, this child is still you, simply the best of you. You could conceive naturally a thousand times and never get such a result.
0: I mean, I have, I have a you know recessive trait for sickle cell anemia. That doesn't impact me in any way, shape, or form. I don't have the disease. But if theoretically I were to uh, want to have a child someone who also had that, that would be a huge, 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 huge risk. So of course we would want that Gattaca-esque technology. Of course... I, as a parent, would never want to pass on that to to a child. And so there's a lot of good things in Gattaca, but talking about the side effects and the possible discrimination and then, of course, just the the moral of, you know, the power of the human heart and willpower alone. God, I fucking love that movie. And I could just sit here and rant, rant about it for the next 20 minutes. But Gattaca, God, I can't recommend it enough.
1: Yeah, no, I love Gattaca. And movies like that in general. Like, it's stuff like that that explores, you know, People say, oh, it's a slippery slope. Well, with fiction and with media, we get to say, okay, well, what if we go down that slippery slope? What happens then? What are the things that we really need to watch out for and kind of theory craft around this stuff? Because, like, genetic tampering with especially children and, you know, de- debilitating genetic diseases uh, is not, I think, to most people a bad thing. To most it's most people open to the idea of that in the first place at least and if you give a mouse a cookie if you change one thing then why wouldn't you want to change more why wouldn't you want to have you know your 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 blonde blue eyed whatever uh ubermensch just because you can I mean for obvious reasons. Yeah. And maybe and, and, not that specific example. Yeah, well like, no, that's, that's problematic, but, but
0: that's that's the standard straw man, right? That's something where again mm-hmm. I we we talked about Star Trek, which we love Star Trek. Star Trek does try to talk about this with Eugenics, uh with yep. the you know, the classic episode of Khan and the Wrath of Khan. They follow that up yep. then with the the augments and enterprise, they follow that up uh, quite well actually with Dr. Bashir and DS9. But To be fair, they're just taking the ultimate straw man argument. They're just taking the Mm -hmm. Aryan race argument. I think Gattaca is so much more nuanced and subtle. Um, Oh, it
1: absolutely is because it asks this question, or at least it presents this idea that, you know, you can do all of these things to, you know, children and make them quote unquote perfect. You can have your designer babies. But it's not necessarily enough if you subscribe to the or ascribe to the idea that we are more than the sum of our parts. So this like the willpower argument and especially the bit where he's like, yeah, I didn't save anything for this one back. That's not something that you really control directly or at least not something that we figured out yet. And I like that as kind of a counterpoint. It's like, even if you do, even if you did go down this slippery slope, the human element, the human part that makes us unique is so ephemeral, so intangible, so epigenetic, that it doesn't really matter what you do. You're always going to still have this individual expression of the human condition in every person. It's subtle and it's an underthread, but it's there. And I like that about it because it doesn't treat that whole idea as just like, oh, here's the boogeyman eugenics. It's yes, eugenics and yes, here's all the problems. And there's no, but like there are problems. It's seen in the social fabric of that world. There's still this undercurrent of overriding humanity to it though, that makes it feel so much more believable and feels like it treats that subject matter as less of a boogeyman and more of something worth considering even if it is worth considering in order to rule it out
0: yeah and it's it's all still chance right like our genetics mm-hmm. right do create us we are chemical machines uh but as picard said measurement or machines just of a different type um but that doesn't, that's not, you know, a guarantee And that's, you know, his You know, the main character, Ethan, uh, Ethan Hawke's character In Gattaca, you know, had a 98% chance of having a heart attack By given age, that's just the statistic Um, there's so many other factors I, I, God, it's just a fucking wonderful movie
1: Well, and then they launch into space In suits and ties
0: Yes! Oh, I love the style of that because movie too Because why it's
1: wouldn't you? It's so good Flight got
2: you nervous? Well, there's a problem, Lamar. I never did tell you about my son, did I? He's a big fan of yours. Just remember that I was as good as any, and better than most. He wants to apply here. I could have gone up and back, and nobody would have been the wiser. Unfortunately, my son's not all that they promised. But then who knows what he could do. future reference right-handed men don't hold it with their left
1: just one of those things uh so good so good well i did find one more
0: all right zach take us home
1: um so uh I, i i say i found this like it's a contrived thing but this one this one i was looking for specifically um Thirteenth uh, Warrior. Oh, do you remember Thirteenth Warrior? I,
0: I do. Good, good flick. Which, which and, part though?
1: Antonio Banderas. Well, I mean, all of it. It's a great movie. It's thirty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but fuck you, it's good.
0: No, it's a, it's a good uh, movie. I'm <laughs> I'm gonna guess the language scene. Well,
1: there's that one, which is fun, but no, not so much that one. Um, it's uh, the 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 main big Viking guy. Um, uh, I've completely forgotten his name. It's, I it's, could not
0: name the characters.
1: Beowulf. It's Beowulf. I don't <laughs> remember what the character's name was, but yeah. uh, he says, uh, luck often enough will save a man if his courage hold. That line means something to me because I have been aware of my white male privilege for a long time. And there is... A real thing called white male confidence. <laughs> if you if you are in a group discussion and you say something with enough conviction, people tend to just take your word for it. And sometimes you're right, a lot of times you're wrong. But um I, I found that like yeah, in discussions with especially superiors at work, it's worth keeping up with this idea. Luck often enough will save a man if his courage hold. If you are reasonably sure of something, you can probably make it true. And this is less like, it's not about being dishonest. Uh, It just, it kind of sounds like it is. That's not really the point. It's more that uh, if somebody looks to you for an answer and your response is either rightly, I don't know, let me find out, or yeah, I don't know if I can find out, then that's one thing. If your answer needs to be more definitive than that for reasons, then be confident in the answer that you give, whatever it is, like dissembling or sputtering or losing your nerve in those discussions shows and, and this is probably unfair for lots of reasons, but it shows a weakness that others will look at and either discount everything that you say or inject this little bit of doubt into future discussions. And it's, I don't know, it, this helped me overcome a lot of anxiety when I was dealing with, like, how do I, how do I get comfortable with things like public speaking um, or speaking in a group dynamic where there's an obvious power differential? Interviewing. Luck often enough will save a man if his courage hold.
0: It's good. It makes me want to go rewatch the movie and see that in context. You know, it it is also funny though, because going back to like you know um, things, uh, you know, I try to encourage as as a leader is uh, when someone doesn't know something, you know, state just state that, you know, go go find out. And when you think you have the answer, say that you think you have the answer. if that ultimately is not the answer and you you thought that it was then that's fine too be honest about that um yeah Yeah, no no it's it's yeah be
1: confidently ignorant ignorance can be fixed be if you don't if somebody comes up and says hey you know how do i rewire this database i don't know i will find out
0: yes correct is a
1: perfectly acceptable answer but I don't know. It seems like a whole lot of work and you know, maybe there's this and maybe there's that and ramble on and on and on. That's not, that's not useful. That's not, uh, that's not really going to help anybody out. So, no, you know, but we will be find confident, out. be confident in your ignorance or be confident in your, in your knowledge. Like if somebody is saying something that you know is wrong, you can correct that. You don't have to second guess yourself.
0: Oh, imposter syndrome's a
1: thing, sir. <laughs> it's absolutely a thing. And being aware of it is definitely something uh, that, can, that can help if, you know, yeah.
0: if That's nothing else. We, but... We've made fun of ourselves for doing on the podcast all the time, but it's the reason mm-hmm. that I love talking with people like you, Maroles. Know, we'll, always, we'll always preface, well, it's my understanding that. Well, you know, as I understand it, blank. And we'll always preface it with, like, look, I am confident in this answer. I am not certain in this answer, and it's just we we've made fun of ourselves for doing that. And uh,
1: oh yeah, uh, I love it. <laughs> yep, yep, yep.
0: Uh, well, all right, dear listener. There were uh, some moments in in media that helped shape or define us. Uh, really missed out on us talking about Star Trek for like another thirty plus minutes. To be fair, I think we had what only half Star Trek. Not bad. Not bad for yeah. us. Yeah. Now it's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> uh. All right, dear listener, well, thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, hopefully, we'll be back next week. We still really don't know what Rooley's schedule is. It's It's been rough for him, so I, I'd love to get him back at some point, but we just don't know. Uh, maybe, Zach, I'll finally do my homework on uh, the coolest TV and movie sets that I, I have my list and I haven't fully researched yet. I don't know. That will put you on the spot. Go go keep a Google Keep list of <laughs> things.
1: Yeah. Now, no, movie sets would be great. We well, I'll see if down. I can
0: get that done. If you can't tell, I was inspired by DS9. Because <laughs> that set was <laughs> awesome. That was a good set. Uh, well, cool. Mr. Mayor, thanks again. Likewise, Mr. Tom. All right. And until next time, dear listener. QQ
1: q q Q-Q-Q. Have we anything resembling a plan? Yes. Ride till we find them and kill them all.
0: <laughs> it's a good plan. Yeah. Sir's a plan. Uh, I hope that didn't shape you too much. <laughs> Elegant in its simplicity. <sighs> Hey, dear listener, thank you so very much for joining us. If you like what you hear, check out our website at qq-cast.com. We have multiple types of podcasts, quests, news, reviews, and our choose-your-own-adventure podcast, The QQ Adventure. That website, again, is qq-cast.com. Now, please remember that all views and opinions expressed on the podcast are representative solely of the person expressing them, not of their friends and family, not of their coworkers or co-hosts, and certainly not of their employers, past, present, or future. Again, thank you for joining us, and thank you for respecting our individuality. (laughs)
2: Oh! <laughs>